Welcome to the Story Discovery Podcast. I'm your co-host, J.W. McAteer. Coming up, you'll hear a new story from our free online publication, Etched Onyx. Please join me and co-host, Melissa Collings, after the reading, when we talk with the author about their work and all things writing and otherwise. The Story Discovery Podcast is sponsored by Scrivener, the go-to app for writers of all kinds, used every day by best-selling novelists, screenwriters, nonfiction writers, and more. Think of Scrivener as the Swiss Army knife of writing apps. You can use just the parts you need, like the distraction-free writing view, or you can break out all the tools to plan, organize, research, and create your work. When you're done, you can easily export to multiple document, manuscript, and ebook formats. Our listeners get a 20% discount by using the coupon code Story Discovery at checkout. You can learn more at their website, literatureandlatte.com, or just type Scrivener into your search engine. Give Scrivener a try, you won't regret it. This podcast and all related materials are a production of Onyx Publications. All stories are copyright 2022, all rights reserved. Hey, listeners, we are so excited to let you know that the next several shows, six to be exact, we'll be talking with the winners of our winter edition contest. Melissa and I would first like to thank our guest judges, Becky Hinshaw and Christopher Clancy, for their tireless work in the difficult task of selecting the top stories and poems. We would also like to thank each writer and poet who submitted their works for consideration in our first ever contest. We know writing and submitting can be a daunting experience, and we appreciate the opportunity to read your work. We wish all of you a prolific 2022. For today's show, we are talking with Jerry Jarit, our first place winner who wrote and is narrating her story, Arborite Countertops. Settle in and enjoy. Arborite Countertops One day, I was looking at a young man through rain, laughter bubbling up in me like a shook-up can of pop. He was running, long arms pumping, a grin across his face. His shoes were loose and untied, and they slapped in the puddles. He didn't stop to catch his breath or wipe his face. He ran right up and stopped at my mouth. He tasted like tangerines in winter, perfect. I'd pined for him, gone to university, me at the store with correspondence courses. I couldn't believe the universe didn't simply explode with joy the day Jeffy came home. We married, weeks later, two friends for witnesses, radio playing Brian Adams. I packed my stuffed animals, athletic awards, and prom dress. Mum said bitter words, and Dad turned his back, but... I knew I'd been destined for this. I'd known I'd marry Jeffy from the day I found him trying to rescue the squirrel caught in a bush. He was fourteen then. A gangly alien from Planet High School, but I just knew. The factory farms were pushing Mr. Whitting out of cattle farming, and he was selling off his pasture. We loved the southern corner, a narrow piece of scrub junipers and Canadian shield, a pretty clump of maples near a creek. 
We built all summer through black flies and mosquitoes, friends helping. The worst was digging the perimeter trench, pouring cement in. Then a shallow well near the creek for sink water. Jeffy's dad helped us hook up electricity to a generator until Hydro could bring a line in. We planned a septic tank and a proper well later. For now, we said, an outhouse and a creek. We didn't care. It was ours. By October, Jeffy had a job at the prison in Millhaven, and I was dreaming of babies as I chopped wood or sewed curtains. Our parents horrified us. Mine lived like cold stars in distant orbits. His snarked non-stop, like the buzz of chainsaws. No one was happy. No one could see the door. We swore we'd never be like that. Never. Last autumn, I found my daughter, Seraph, sitting on the edge of the highway where Jeffy had dropped her. It was raining. I was coming home from a night course in silk painting, watching the road carefully because it was slick. I was startled to see someone, nearly didn't recognize her. She was soaked, sitting on gravel, her head against one knee. Jeffy had been bringing her home, and they'd had a big blow-up. Teenagers, right? How could he just leave her, in the dark? How could he know I'd pick her up? We weave baskets when we're young, and we fill them up with dreams of taming wild animals and floating in space, or pioneer living. Daydreaming don't get nothing done, my mother used to say. She was wrong, though. Look at me. I'm not giving up. I don't understand Jeffy anymore, but it's Seraph I'm worried about. What does it mean to sit, half-frozen, rivers running down one's back, hugging a knee? What does it mean? Seraph was three when she had to move out of our bed to make room for the baby. She hated Raven at first. She hid his rattles and refused to look at him. In time, she relented. Then Raven moved into her room to woo her with his licorice eyes and kisses. I love music, and I used to sing with him, bouncing Raven and dancing with Seraph about paradise and parking lots. They each knew that song before they were three. Seraph loved our old cassettes, especially the Powder Blues, the Guess Who, 80s rock and roll. They shouted, God damn them all, with the Irish descendants, and I allowed it, for I never forgot my parents, always judging the neighbors, the people at work. Their deep frowns started in their hearts. They egged each other on. Who could be more negative? One reason they didn't like Jeffy was he was part Anishinaabe. His parents should have hated my white Irish skin, but they never said anything. I was never going to be like my parents. Jeffy was always keeping an eye out for a better job and applied at the Goodyear plant when jobs opened. But he turned it down, afraid of losing seniority at the prison. He was 30 with good benefits. I think he was afraid. Not that he'd talk about it. He'd stopped talking. Just, do we have to have veggie lasagna every Thursday? Or, that window's sticking. When's the last time you turned the compost? But I think Jeffy worried he'd hate the factory more than the prison.
and then he'd lose his chums, the other guards, who took him to the pub Fridays, sometimes Saturdays. We had them and their families over for potlucks. Their kids loved to play hide-and-seek in the sheds or by the creek. Their mom's frantic, not used to big spaces. All these years, I was busy non-stop learning. After all, this was my dream. I taught myself how to build cupboards and shelves, how to pickle and preserve, how to drive a truck empty to the dump and return with a dresser or a sink. I taught myself the Ontario curriculum to grade 8, joined a homeschooling group, learned how to start tomatoes in March and how to find boots, skates, pots, anything at a church rummage sale. They were busy years. I never noticed the weaving growing loose. I was so busy filling that basket to overflowing. One evening, two years back, I heard the screech of truck on gravel. Then the door slammed. When Jeffy clomped into our bedroom, he tripped over our dog. Weedy slept there whenever Jeffy was out late. God damn it, Heather, get him the hell out of here, was Jeffy's usual. This time it was a muffled curse. Then he pulled back his boot and walloped him. Weedy gave a high-pitched scream, and I was there in a flash, soothing him. He was crumpled against the wall, panting hard, and when he looked at me, he winced. Fear. My heart turned to dust right then. Later, working outside, the wind blew that dust away. I don't know if there was even a rib fracture, but I bound Weedy up firmly and kept him on a soft bed in the kitchen for two months. He was limping the next day, but I wouldn't let him outside without a leash. He healed okay. That was the first time I realized how much Jeffy had changed. It had crept up on me. I tried to discuss it, but it made him angry. He called me a prude and a hypocrite. We both used to dance and drink a little and laugh at parties. He said I dried up. I finally gave up. I didn't want to end up like his mother, a teetotaler with a vengeance, or mine, a sour heart. But when did the good memories slip through the holes? Seraph, chestnut curls and a flowered dress, up to her knees in dandelions. I remember this, but I can't remember the joy of it. Or Raven, piggybacking on Jeffy, both in blue jeans with brown feet and faces. I remember it, too, but it must have happened to another family. I'm so tired these days. I'd like to lie down, but there's too much to do. I drive Seraph to high school now, volunteer on committees, and co-coach girls' volleyball. I'd nearly forgotten how to play, but it came back like riding a bike. I recognize that fierce thrill I see in the girls' faces when they tip the ball and miss the blocker, or volley it to the back corner for a point, but I can't feel it. Seraph looks like the other girls on the court, graceful and quick, with a strong volley. She even laughs with them, a sudden bark, and slaps their hands high. Jeffy said they'd both flunk high school, that I was crazy to homeschool them so long, but he was wrong. She's doing fine with Mark's. It's the other things I worry about. When I pick her up after school, I go early, 
to watch the kids emerge. It's like a complex dance, the way they flow out the front doors in pairs or threes, turning left, veering right. I study them. The boys are short and childlike, or they're skinny birch trees. Girls are more colorful, more expressive, in clunky shoes, short dresses or jeans, tank tops. They seem like tough feminists, how I once saw myself, though my dream was maybe more old-fashioned. I'm fascinated by nose rings, tattoos, a loud laugh, flared nostrils. These become more exaggerated if the group enlarges, like actors on stage. Seraph emerges alone, wavy hair like mine falling over one eye. Her mouth is still. Her features are perfect, freckled nose, rose lips, her father's dark eyes. But her face shows nothing. It's a smooth lake, still before a storm. I look from her to the other girls, their mouths and arms flowing and waving, and I'm frightened. At least the corn is growing well this year, organic, considering the truckloads of free compost that I've spread over that garden, it ought to grow diamonds. If it did, I might buy an airplane ticket and disappear one day, or maybe just a large bed to myself, a flush toilet, laminated flooring, and a glistening length of white countertop. When I lived in my parents' house, in town, I dreamt of living in the country, freedom from houses all cookie-cutter. And here I am, look at me, longing for a shiny kitchen with walls and floors to match. We never did complete the plumbing. That outhouse, outhouse was just too handy, I guess. After years of hinting, then bringing it up seriously, I went myself to the bank to talk about a loan. Jeffy normally pays the bills and handles the money, so it was odd for me to go. I mended an old dress and braided my hair neatly. The septic system and plumbing could be had for 300 bucks a month, and I thought, well, okay. Okay, I could start showing my birdhouses and copper jewelry and some bigger shops in Kingston. I'd sold five painted garden stones that year, an experiment. I could do more. The trouble was the septic and a deeper well. Drilling a well meant big money, and having clay over rock was pretty bad. They might have to bring in 30 truckloads of dirt for a septic system. That's why I came home empty-handed, but not beaten. I did sell more garden stones and started making small pizzas to sell weekly at the farmer's market. By the end of that summer, I got a composting toilet, and I cut a hole in the wall for the vent. It dehydrates the stuff. Raven and Sarah helped me install the darn thing, and even helped clear the tray the first few weeks. A toilet, finally. Jeffy laughed at my mistakes, like when the vent fan stopped working and filled the house with sewer smell. But I persevered. I think it taught the kids something. With Seraph reading the instructions and Raven fetching and carrying, we'd made something good together. When it broke, we learned how to fix it. Raven's always been quieter than his sister, but he always sang at home. He made up little ditties that made me laugh, like, 
wake up, wake up, it's almost time for dinner. That's lunch, that's lunch, or maybe we'll have brunch to munch on. At nine, he begged for a piano. I could only manage an old guitar, but we patched it and took out books. He worked steadily, though his dad wouldn't make him let him make that racket when he was home. Last fall, Raven started a rock group with three kids we knew. They played at home parties and then landed a wedding gig last month. He was phenomenal, 12 years old in a pressed black shirt, singing about dreaming from the heart. He killed us with OCM. I had to wipe my eyes. Seraph and I clapped so hard our hands were still sore the next day. Tonight, Raven said the F word to his father. He learned it from him, so I suppose I don't have to take responsibility for that. Then my son stormed out, slammed the door, and strode off down the hill. I pitied him, not even a corner store or a friend nearby to walk to. Jeffy glared at Seraph and me and snarled. What are you looking at? Am I the one who just told his father to F off? I shouldn't have said anything, but K.D. Lang's been on the radio a lot, and I just opened my mouth. He can't treat you with respect if you don't show some to him. Just the sort of preachy thing that Jeffy despises. He lit into me with nag and high school dropout who thinks she knows something. And then... I just couldn't take it anymore. I walked out and got into the truck. Seraph was already in there, her hands over her ears. I was so surprised my mouth fell open. I'm coming too, she said with that stubborn set to her chin, like she'd had as a toddler. My purse was in there and a couple of blankets. All that remained was to pick up Raven on the way. A long time ago, I set out to weave the most beautiful basket in the world. After a while, the dreams got heavy. The weaving stretched. I lost bits of myself through those spaces. I don't know when the warp shifted. I didn't notice pieces of me starting to fall away, bit by bit. But I turned that key and started the truck. The great big sea was singing. We drove away looking east and west for a boy in blue jeans with flashing eyes and a way with music. We're searching for arborite countertops, I guess, or at least for something better. You've just listened to Arborite Countertops by Jerry Jarit. And we've got Jerry on the show today to talk about this powerful piece. And Melissa Collings, our, my co-host, is also on the show, and I obviously am JW. Um, thanks for joining us today. Hello. Hey, Jerry, why don't you go ahead and kick us off? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, thank you for having me on the show, JW and Melissa. If you don't mind, I'd like to start with a land acknowledgement. Sure. Please. So I'd like to acknowledge that I'm speaking from the traditional territories of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee nations. I'm, uh, I'm on my own journey of reconciliation and learning more about our First Nations Inuit and Métis people all the time. Wow. Now, Terrific. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, about myself. Well, I love to canoe and kayak, uh, although I need some more help from my younger daughter, Haven, to uh, 
I need another lesson. And <laughs> I've been camping with the canoe in a in a tent since I was I've been eleven. I grew up in St. Catharines. Uh, these Ooh. days, as I look out my window, I'm making snow angels. Great. So um, you've got a lot of snow there now. Yes, we do. It's about negative twenty Celsius here right now. Wow. Yesterday, the classic moment. I went to get in the car and it didn't start. So my husband jump started the car. And then I drove to what is an iconic building across Canada. Not Tim Hortons as you probably thought, but <laughs> Canadian Tire. <laughs> I'm oh, sure wow. that pretty much says what it is. It's a giant hardware store across Canada that also has an auto service department. And I went there to pick up a few things. And as I came out, the car was dead again. Oh, this is so classic. Yeah. Yes, but it was like, no, I've never gambled, but I like to imagine it was like that moment where you, you gamble and, and you, you do that one-armed bandit and it rolls up with three lemons and you're like, wow, I won? Because it turned out that the battery had been bought at Canadian Tire three oh. years ago in January and it was still under warranty for two nice. more weeks. Free Two battery. <laughs> so it was meant to be. You could just lay down in the parking lot and make those snow angels. <laughs> exactly. Well, they fixed the battery. That's great. I love it. Very yeah, cool. Good stuff. Well, normally we we um, get into the story itself a little bit. So okay. I guess in the background materials you sent, you have quite a varied background, a very interesting background Definitely. and I was wondering if you could speak a bit of how your life has shaped how you write and what you choose to write about and specifically why you chose to write about this piece that was a lot I know yeah okay <laughs> okay so so outline this question <laughs> <laughs> okay got it um so what I write about so in my wallet I have this little list it's very old and it's ripped oh. We can and see it was this list in my, right it's tiny and cute. In my 40s, I wrote a list of things I made, I had made by hand. This was to cheer me up when I felt like life was totally crap. Oh. Recently, <laughs> recently, it out I a put a new list in. <laughs> this mm. is a list of stories I've written by themes. And this was just, again... When I don't feel like a real writer, you know, I haven't published mm. a novel, I'm not famous, I'm certainly not able to pay the bills with it. <laughs> and so, you asked what I write? So, apparently, I write a lot about the environment. I explore uh, writing about refugees, uh, a lot about family relationships, mm -hmm. and standing up for oneself or against something, including feminism. Uh, apparently, not I've against several feminism. What did you say? But not against feminism. Oh no! Thank you yeah. for correcting me. <laughs> yes. Just making that clear. That, that's that's great. Um, some of my stories have a dark humor in them, or wonder, magic, and joy. So this story, Arborite Countertop, isn't that story that's lighthearted and full of humor. Although I do hope that people were able to feel the hope and the optimism at the end. My, my mother taught me how to leave a man. So a bad man. Uh, and she taught me how to go back to school, 
how to um, take summer courses and night courses forever, how to ask your extended family for help and, and take it graciously, and, mm. and how to be thrifty, um, sew your own clothes or buy them secondhand and take a collar off or pull in a seam to make it fit well, and how to shape your life into the kind of life that you want and how to refine your dreams. That's one of the biggest gifts that my mother gave to me. And I did that in my own life. I have three kids. And I like, I'm really not Heather in this story, but this story did bubble up uh, from some subterranean river of unconsciousness. I'm not the only <laughs> woman who left a difficult marriage and whose mm. marriage started out happily. And then it, you know, disintegrated in such a quiet little crumbly way, tiny mm. sedimentary, you know, dust at a time. And then one day you wake up and realize, how did I get to this place? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I did it and, you know, went back to school and um, forever and um, <laughs> got a new career and made a new and a better life and I hope I was a good role model for my children to stand up for themselves in not just in a personal relationship but also to stand up for other people especially when uh, I'm white settler and although I think women have been held down all over the world for centuries millennia um, being a white settler, I have a lot of privilege, and I think it's really important that we stand up for our friends and neighbors who don't have that privilege. So all of those things mixed in together are uh, probably shape the kinds of things. And trees, we have to stand up for trees. <laughs> I'm pretty passionate about the environment, and I, I feel that it's part of being a human that you have to stand up for both yourself and for others. In my case, it was harder to stand up for myself and easier to stand up for others. I don't know. How do you feel about that? I think a lot of people feel that way. I actually was having this conversation with, with a couple of friends just this week, this past weekend, where I will see injustice happening to other people and yeah. I will fly to you know correct that, but right. I don't necessarily see injustice towards myself. Exactly. And where I, I had a earlier this year had something occur where somebody pointed out to me, well, you, you're getting pretty much abused here. You're getting used up, used for something. Well, taken advantage of, not abused. That's a, a heavy word. So taken yeah. advantage of, and I didn't see it. Right. I, I did not see it at all, but immediately I will see it in somebody else. So I completely can relate to that. And I think your right. story is very relatable um, for everybody. These are, these are common goals and interest struggles that people go through. They're right. common, but they aren't necessarily something that we, you know, talk about on a, on a day-to-day -day basis. It's something to remember those little things, you know, that you have to, to do on a daily basis. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I'm glad yeah, that you've experienced the same thing. It's that yeah. it's not just me, that I'm the one who's blind, you know, in my own yeah. life, but that yeah. I can see it. So I'm, yeah, like you, I can, I can jump in there and stand up for someone else, but definitely, it is harder to see it in your own life. So I, anyway, maybe that's where it bubbled up this story. I hmm. haven't, I, I didn't do the pioneer thing and live Heather's life and all of that, but I've met lots of people who have. So yeah, there was lots of um, inspiration 
for all parts of the story, I suppose, from all the people I've met in the world, <laughs> in my own life, yeah. too. Yeah, that's great. Well, one of the things that I like about the story is, um, well, in particular, and you mentioned one of them just now, was number one is the weaving of the basket, you know, sort of your basket of dreams. And then you come back to that later, how it sort of unravels and um, the gives gaps in things in your life, kind of the person that you are uh, sort of filters out of those or falls out of those. And then at the end, there's nothing but dust left. I thought that was super creative. And then uh, the second part of that was was the dust aspect. And then at the end, the wind blows it away. Um, yeah, so really super cool. creative. Yeah, it was really a nice metaphor. Thank you. McWitch. Yeah. McWitch, that's right. You have to explain that for our listeners. <laughs> is is thank you in Anishinaabe uh, language. And uh, Nyawe is, is the way you say um, thank you in Haudenosaunee language. And I feel that after at least two or 300 years of us uh, refusing to allow them to speak their own languages, the least we could do is learn a few words in our local um, indigenous people's languages. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Keeping that alive. Yeah. Right, yeah, right. Showing respect good. for it. They're quite beautiful languages. Well, you've already kind of proven uh, something that you sent in your background materials um, was that your adult kids tell you that when they bring somebody <laughs> home, yes. that you know that you're going to ask them like over dinner so what deep hardships they faced no, or what they deeply care up. about. And you're already, boom, like we're like, I don't know, less than 10 minutes into the show and you're already uh, getting down in the weeds on that. Right. <laughs> it's just wonderful. <laughs> Good. It's the deep stuff. You can tell you care. This is a right. caring person. <laughs> Well, I am deeply interested in other human beings, and yeah, and I care. And uh, so I'm not very good at social patter, but I'm really interested in how people are coping with difficult things in their lives or how they're managing, you know, all the regular stuff. You know, just today I had a discussion this morning with my wonderful husband, and uh, it was about how people argue and how they fight in a relationship. Uh, mm -hmm. I know I had several serious relationships in my life and each I mean I of course was perfect absolutely perfect <laughs> nothing wrong with me but each of them had a different style of uh, negotiating or you know a fighting mm -hmm. you know one was very one was below the belt pull out those really terrifying touchy subjects in your relationship and like throw it at you and like yelling mm -hmm. and another person was very calm and logical and would talk nonstop. you couldn't get a breath in or think but everybody had a yeah. different style of of working it out interesting <laughs> well and so you also mentioned about being a social activist and you kind of brought that up too um you had a secret yeah. goal about regarding trees and greenpeace you want to kind of talk about that a little bit yeah oh. what is that about well, back in the 80s, when I was still in university, um, the key environmental threat to the universe was the stockpiling of nuclear weapons and in countries and testing, nuclear testing in the South Pacific. Enter Greenpeace and the famous ship, the Rainbow Warrior. I marched with thousands and thousands of university students in Vancouver in the 80s for nuclear disarmament. And I've been a member of Greenpeace ever since. And I love them. Have you ever seen their Ken versus Barbie web um, campaign? <laughs> no. I have not, no. <laughs> okay, so when we, write that down. So when we are done, you have to Google Greenpeace Ken 
Ken breaks up with Barbie because I think it's one of their most creative and splendid uh, campaigns to fight for the environment. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> Just Ken brilliant. Up with Barbie. Okay, so I've always... I do have to look this up because this I sounds know. very quite interesting. <laughs> it is great. Now, so I thought by the I thought when I turned sixty the other year I thought okay so it's time right you know my kids are are grown and I'm pretty settled in my career I'm an elementary school teacher I just retired in September by the way oh wow and, congratulations yeah that's huge yeah mixed feelings I really yeah. miss the kids I don't miss no. any of the administrative work um yeah. so anyway what was I saying uh I thought okay. I can I can now do I mean of course I was signing millions of petitions and but I I could do something a little more dramatic I could be chained to a fence oh like my goodness for a, for <laughs> a thousand year old tree you know if I was out in BC I would be I would have gone out there with the protesters to um, stand up for the old growth forest at Ferry Creek especially now that I've learned so much more about trees in the last few months. And so, okay, maybe I can't rappel up the side of the CN Tower. Maybe that's a little (laughs) tough for me to hang. I mean, it can can be your next thing. Yeah. So so secretly, don't tell anyone. I want to be arrested for, (laughs) (laughs) for some really strong social or an environmental cause that I really care about. Only nothing has come up around here and it's COVID. I can't just obviously, you know, take airplanes all over the world just to fight right, for the right. environment. Be kind of, right. shh, top secret. Okay, so you secretly <laughs> want to be arrested. I love I that. Okay, I don't know a lot of people who secretly want to be arrested. So arrested for right. something oh, that, I, yeah. I'm just taking it completely out of context. So, <laughs> because that is a hilarious line. I want to be arrested. We have to fill in the rest, yes. Yeah. <laughs> for a good cause, fighting right. fighting something that is important. So, yes, that's, that's, right. that's great. <laughs> okay, can we jump back into the writing a little bit? Uh, yes. And so I'm curious, you've been widely published. You've had your, your work in a lot of different areas. What was your very first story? So how did you get into into writing? Oh, my goodness. Um, when I was um, about nine, my sister Sue, who I'm very close to, uh, had Gillian Bari. And so she was at home off and on all through grade nine to 13. Mm-hmm. And I was younger and adored her. And I did some of her writing for her schoolwork, but I didn't understand what I was writing, especially math. But I think she was in grade 10 or maybe 11, and she had to write poetry. And she's like, I can't write this poetry. This is terrible. And I'm like, let me. (laughs) I was only nine, and I did. I wrote all her poems for high school. Wow. And it was just so empowering. (laughs) I mean, also, of course, yeah, anyway, so that was the the first thing that I – that I wrote that I was very proud of. Was that when you first fell in love with writing and you knew, like, I want this to be a part of my life? <laughs> um, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. That is I mean, neat. I'm sure it also helped in grade eight when I had a very kind English teacher who, for some reason, gave me an award for writing. Oh. Well, I say for some reason, because the award didn't really do anything for me. It came with a dorky little purple purse, but... Um, it's the purple purse award (laughs) it's the purple Purple purse who was that for what's that got to do with writing but anyway all I can remember writing in grade 8 that I turned into him was wait for it a six page poem 
in rhyming couplets to Bobby what? Orr. To Bobby Orr. I don't know. Wow, Bobby the hockey Orr player. Is. A oh. hockey player. <laughs> you yes. had to write a six-page six-page six no. rhyming. No, she didn't have to. She just no. did. That's. The... I just did. I oh, was like, it wasn't the assignment. That's what called you to do that. I have to. Know. I don't know. I was in love with him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, poem. I got it now. Okay. Yes, and I guess this impressed him enough to give me the purple purse award. And wow. oh my goodness. However, I did mail it, and it was you know handwritten on paper. I mailed it to the Boston Bruins Gardens uh, for Bobby Orr, and he never replied. How Aww. dare he? Oh my god! Six page poem. Did you tell I him know. about the purse? Because no, you know, that, <laughs> that was a purse the... winner. Yeah, no, I didn't. I'm still pretty crushed. It's surprising that I still managed to carry on, but I don't know how you did it. My goodness, that's devastating. That's that's you know, that's hang, hang up your pen at that point. Exactly, that's hilarious. But I've been um, mentoring uh, kids for the last twenty years. Just delightful, wonderful kids, and um, I think it really does help to have an adult take your writing seriously. So my sister and my mother and my uh, sister's high school teacher took my writing seriously. And that was very empowering and has spurred me on through the years. I think that's the type of encouragement that everybody could use for their arts. Yes, I think there are a lot of people out there who are secretly writers, um, because they don't have someone who believes in them. Just as we were talking about, you know, fighting for yourself when you're you're able to fight for others easily, but you're not able to fight for yourself. I think a lot of people have that um, in this area as well. You know, you don't necessarily have a support, so you're scared to put yourself out there. It's it's much harder to get rolling. Yes. Mm-hmm. It tells you, you know, support those people in your life because yes. it means somebody something to them. It's really important to have people who are supporting you in what you do. I agree. agree. Last year, I had a student in grade four who wrote the most hilarious and wonderful and deep and brilliant little poem. And with his mother's permission, I have now sent it off to four different literary magazines. I'm not even his teacher anymore, and I'm still sending it out. But they did come, actually, for a quick visit, you know, socially distanced on our front lawn um, at Christmas time. And... um, and so I told them, yeah, I just sent it to another one. <laughs> so it really terrific. should be published, too. It's great. That's wow. huge. That is, yeah. that is great. Terrific. Well, hey, so you do have a little bit of yourself in this story. Did you learn anything about yourself when you write it? And in general, do you learn anything? Do you feel like you discover things about yourself when these stories come out? Oh, I get to use this wonderful quote from Thomas King, who's one of my favorite authors. So he wrote... All of my books are attempts to understand the world. I don't understand the world, but my writing is my attempt. And, I I mean, that's typical of his wry humor and his uh, Mm -hmm. humility. But I feel that, for sure, with this story, which, you know, just bubbled up from somewhere deep inside, that, that I was trying to understand how that happens in a relationship that starts out with, you know, romance and so much hope and how it can gradually get to a place where where in this case the woman was feeling that she had lost herself and so I was exploring mm-hmm. exploring that but when I did write it you asked if I learned anything about myself what I learned is I'm still angry and I was mm-hmm. surprised I was surprised by that 
I was going to ask like, if it was a release for you. Yeah. Just kind of getting like, it on I'm, paper was a release. Right. Like, I'm cool. I'm friends with my ex-husband. I've made my peace with, you know, mistakes I've made with men over the years. And, um, but I'm not just angry for myself. I'm angry that this thing still happens. That, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I've seen for 20 years a lot of, I have been privileged to get to know um, families because you teach so many children. You know, if you teach high school, you don't get to see the whole family, but you may mm -hmm. teach several siblings. You get to know the parents, and every family is so different. It's like wind into, windows into so many different ways to to run a complex family life and relationships. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're abusive, and I'm looking mm -hmm. in horror. And of course, there have been many times I've had to make reports to the Children's Aid Society here over the years. But I'm I'm still angry. I mean, at this very moment, I know about four people who, whom I really like, whom I really respect, who are in a, a relationship that I can see from the outside is clearly abusive. And they can't, yeah. they're not at that point yet to leave. They're not ready to leave yet. And I'm angry on their behalf. And I'm really angry on behalf of the children. And, and I think yeah. it's a anger on behalf of the children that somehow <laughs> I discovered I still had when I wrote this story. Yeah. Well, the passion comes through. I mean, yeah. it, it has a lot of energy. That's one of the things I think probably that drew the judges to it. Um, although I liked the piece a lot, I didn't have anything to do with picking it, obviously. And um, one of the things they talked about was the voice. The voice comes through very strong. So nice job with that. Is that your voice? <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm starting to think it probably is. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I mean... I think I'm every character in every story I write. I'm Raven, who doesn't understand what's happening with his parents and just understands that people are putting all these obstacles in his way. And, and I'm uh, and I'm their daughter, Seraph, who's like pissed off at the world and fucking isn't taking it anymore, you know? Oh, there it is. Mm -hmm, and I'm mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm I'm also Heather and I'm her, I'm the other mothers coming to visit who don't, who are terrified because they're city people and they're like, my kid's going to drown in that creek. Like, come back here. Right, you know? right. I'm, I'm everybody. <laughs> so I yeah. think right. they're all. As, as you being the writer, you, your voice has to show up because that's how you tell the story, you know. Every different scenario gets told through your voice, even though it might not be you. Okay. But you're there, I think. Um, I'm not mm -hmm. telling you that's how it is. <laughs> I okay. think that's how I think that's how voice works in in this nebulous concept of what voice is. Because I've had you know I've had rejection letters on some of the things you know like oh, I'm just not feeling the voice. It's like wow, you're not feeling me because that's me on the page. You know you yeah. yeah. <laughs> the idea of voice is kind of nebulous, but that's what I've come to decide. That makes sense. Yeah, your mm -hmm. style of writing basically. Speaking of support, what does your family? think about your writing yeah now oh. you said they were supportive way back when what about now <laughs> oh um well kids the whole package right uh well my husband has a sunny heart but he reads everything i write and he's but he mm. he's wonderful and he he loves it all but he's not afraid to say, but he is, I mean, he's super careful. I just don't hurt my feelings. It's like, I don't, really, I don't really get this one. It's just a little too complex for me. You know, I'm a very simple person. <laughs> he's very sweet. Right, right. And I have uh, three adult children um, and two are in this area. And uh, 
Um, one of them, Haven, reads all of my stuff and does uh, does all the editing. So oh, still nice. teaching me, still teaching me grammar, oh, and um, is a big reader and is a uh, nuanced. And my middle daughter is an author. Uh, oh, so an author, of, yeah, a, a YA author. Uh, so um, they've had well, two read books the title. published. You're holding up a book for our listeners, yeah. The Girl of Hawthorne and Glass is their first fantasy novel. It came out uh, the year before last, and the second one, it's a duology, is called uh, The Boy of Feather and Steel. And nice. These are pretty brilliant, deep, magical, complex um, witch worlds. I I highly recommend them. And so, Adna has been a writer since before they could write they used to walk around talking to themselves and they had like a whole host of imaginary rabbits in their head and they knew all their <laughs> names and they were talking to each other so wow. so when Adam is also very busy as a a postdoctoral student in disability studies and cultural studies and oh, wow. they so I don't like to give Adam too many things to read, but we do writing dates together, which is super fun. Sometimes Aww. by Zoom, depending on whether they're living in my area or the world or not. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and so the writing dates are super fun. And um, when they do give me feedback, it is concise. It's, it's right to the mark. And I also have two friends who are really great readers. So uh, Nikki Allward is a, a very eclectic reader and is reads everything too which is a big help and gives me feedback and Anne Jansen is uh, worked for CBC for a long time and now started up the audiobook division of the uh, Canadian branch of Penguin Random House Books Wow! so I figure I call her AJ so if AJ actually likes the story I feel good (laughs) absolutely I don't give everything to AJ because I'm a little nervous but AJ cuts right (laughs) to the quick and I watch her she reads this story so I just wrote a solar punk story last year which I'm pretty excited about and she read it in you know it's like 20 pages and she read it in probably I don't know 10 minutes and through yeah. it, oh you goodness. can see you can see her like she just reacts to everything. And there's lots of she's laughing all the way through it. She keeps stopping and laughing. And of course, I want to say, "What are you laughing at? What part are you laughing at? Was that funny? What part was it? You know?" Yeah, but I, right, right. I've learned to be quiet and listen. And afterwards, she said, "These are great characters. They're still they're still hanging around in my head. Make it a novel." And I'm like, oh, "Really? You've never said yeah. that." <laughs> <laughs> so, are you going to? I have written the next two chapters, but now I'm holding back on the story, just, you know, trying to decide, should I send it out as a story or should I wait until I write the whole novel? Committing to a novel because I've written several and none have been published yeah. uh, is at least a year of your life or two if it, there's a lot of research. Mm-hmm. And and then there's the, yeah, they're a lot harder to get published. And so I, I haven't quite decided. I'm playing with it. Okay. Now, is your yeah. daughter, did she self-publish yep. or does she have an agent? No, they have an agent, and um, these two uh, novels are published by Dundurn Press in Toronto. Okay. Uh, but they they were supposed to. It, the first one came out in two thousand nineteen in the summer, COVID time, and they were supposed to go to with Dundurn Press to New York to 
some big book publishing event and also have a big um you know opening book opening in toronto and everything was canceled because of COVID. and so i i think they haven't had well they have had almost no publicity because of because of that yeah yeah sure sure I love that you have the writing dates with them, though. Now, when you when you have those, are you talking about your writing, or are you talking about your your daughter's writing as well? Oh no, no, a writing date. Uh, for a couple of years, I had a friend who did it with me too, back when they were in high school. So when we do a writing date, we used to go to a cafe if we were in the same city, mm-hmm. and uh, hog one little spot, each of us with whatever we wanted to write on, and get a really nice drink and a nice snack. And then we might have uh, one person would bring an idea to write about, you know, a stormy day or anger. Like or, a writing prompt or something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just something so crazy. So you're writing or, together. And then we each just write for say 10 minutes and then we share our writing or then we do another one. And we might do this we write for at least an hour, but might be small writing prompts that we're using for fun. But oh, for fun. the, since Anne has got into novels, let me tell you, they always come to my um, writing dates and say, okay, I'm working on a chapter. I'm like, oh, darn, because I was really into a writing prompt today. But, <laughs> but they get oh, yeah. so, they get totally into their chapters. So that actually is a really great role model. So I'm like, boom, I'm right into mine and I'm having a good time too. It's, you know, it's cool. the role modeling and the humor and you're there together and you're both like, you know, crazy into your art. So it's fun. I think that's great. We had yes. um, we have a writing group here in Nashville that's pretty terrific. It's been around many years now, and it first started. One of Katie um, was one of the first folks to start it, and she wanted. Although we do prompts and we do we read each other's stories and we do critiques, she wanted to initially have some times where we just get together and write. You know, kind of like make it that calendar time yeah. for you to set aside to so make some progress. Yeah, but hey, believe it or not. It's already we're up on our time here. That went and by fast. I know. They I, they really usually do. But so the last question that we normally ask folks is, um, and I'm not sure if we're going to change this going forward in 2022. We have to talk about that, Melissa. I don't know. Yeah. But it's a good, it's one of our favorites. And it's where we ask you to share a piece of writing advice or a writing resource or just any writing thoughts that you think would help aspiring writers and or that folks that are interested in writing would just uh, find fascinating so okay. no pressure <laughs> yeah right <laughs> just the most okay, important well. piece of knowledge you have ever received yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right uh so for anybody who wants to write i would say first of all get out there and live get some life experience and start listening to people talk to people ask them their stories take the bus Take a take an electric mm. bus if you can. I was taking the bus to tr- to Toronto once uh, before COVID, and the person who sat down next to me was this incredible author named Kathleen Winters. I don't know if you've read her novel Annabelle or Boundless. She's amazing, and mm. she sat on the bus right next to me for three hours. So, wow! And we have, of course had a wonderful conversation, but I've also had wonderful conversations with a man who was a logger in BC, which of course is you know, kind of against what I believe in. And, but we had a wonderful hey, conversation. Quick, but BC, that's British Columbia? British or Columbia, our, sorry, okay, yes. Okay. British Columbia, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, okay, so one is get out there, talk to people and listen. Maybe that's more. The talking is just to get them to talk. 
listen to them, mm. ask questions, learn from other people, and read. Go ahead and read your Marvel comics. Why not? But read excellent writing. And I don't think you have to read Pulitzer Prize things. Uh, I think you have to read a wide variety of things. And uh, I personally have a little bit of a quirk. I do I do read Maclean's, which is probably a news magazine, somewhat like your Time magazine. And right, we, I, had a, we had a story that mentioned Maclean's, but he was from... Um, Scotland and he was living in the UK at the time. Oh, really? But I had never yes. heard of McLean's before. Right. So it used to be weekly and now it's less, but it, it does do in-depth stories. And those mm -hmm. are the kinds of stories I like to read and uh, for news articles. And, um, and I think you should read widely and not in just one genre. Mm -hmm. You should read YA, which is becoming amazing. Um, and uh, fiction with romance, mysteries, all kinds of things. Uh, maybe some prize winners too, but you should also read a lot of wild nonfiction. I just go where my heart goes. So when I do go to a cafe, I always pick up a newspaper and it's a little bit for fun. It's like a game. I'll pick a newspaper, like say the New York Times or the Toronto Star, or the Globe and Mail, and then I'll, I'll look through it for essays that are in depth about some maybe environmental or disaster or social terrible thing going on in another country, but that someone's done a lot of research about it, you know, a good meaty essay, and mm -hmm. I'll read that, and I'll end up taking notes, and if it draws me, for the next two months, I'm reading all about that issue. I'm not really sure if it's ever going to come out of my writing. I'm not really, I'm just filling myself with things. Lately, I've been filling myself with trees i saw the documentary <laughs> hidden life of trees have you seen that it's lovely no, no it's just lovely and then we read the book and then i started watching ted talks by professor suzanne simard about how um trees we, we now know that they're connected underground by a whole fungal network and they're talking to each other and they're sending sugar and carbohydrates to each other and that oh the giant goodness, the cute. giant trees um, who have survived for over 500 years. They're actually scientifically now called the mother trees. They're actually sending nutrients to the small trees growing in the shade. And they've survived so many already climate changes and wildfires and droughts and insect infestations that they've changed, their genes have changed to survive. Fascinating. Those old trees are carry the genes and the seeds that can survive the next 500 or 1,000 years. And those are the ones you really shouldn't cut down and should support <laughs> the most. So you can see that I am totally sucked into this. I've been reading about trees for about three months. And I think you should follow your heart with reading too. Finally, I would say take a course. There are so many great writing courses. Literary magazines offer them now online colleges, universities offer them too online, and I teach them. You mm -hmm. can, everybody has a different piece of wisdom or approach to writing, and you can, you know, some of them will really speak to you and, and be just what you need. Great. That's great. Yeah, it, it does immerse you into, kind of lights a fire for you to surround yourself with writing people, yes. and in a way you can do that by taking that course to kind of get your toes mm. wet. Yes, right. Plus, to be with other people. In a, mm -hmm. And digging in on a topic, it. too, can be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that is super terrific. That's good advice. 
Yes. All right. Well, hey, so I didn't congratulate you at the top of the show, so I may add something in the um, in the prelim, but congratulations on getting first place, by the way. I was going to say that. <laughs> yes, that's a winter contest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't even mention that at all. I know. Our first ever. So that is terrific. Congratulations. We're so excited to have you uh, submit your story, and I'm super enjoyed reading it Thank after you. the judges selected it and uh, kind of go from there. Thank you, Mikwitch, Yahweh. It was lovely to meet both of you, Melissa and JW. Great. Thanks for being on. Lovely to meet you as well. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please help us spread the word by telling your friends or giving us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Those reviews really make a difference. We'd like to thank the folks at Literature and Latte, the makers of Scrivener, for sponsoring the podcast and providing an amazing tool for writers. If you'd like to take your writing to the next level and use a tool designed for writers by writers, then give Scrivener a try. What have you got to lose? The Story Discovery Podcast is a free, narrated podcast of the works that appear in Etched Onyx Magazine. Edited by J.W. McAteer, all stories and poems are available for free at onyxpublications.com. That's O-N-Y-X publications.com. If you'd like to support the continuation of this podcast and or the magazine, please consider a small donation through Patreon at patreon.com slash onyxpublications. As a nano publishing house, we are always looking for new works to showcase. If you'd like to submit a story or poem for consideration, please visit the submissions page on our website. In the meantime, keep reading and writing.